So, uh, yeah. Let me see where I'm at. I also managed to turn off my candle while I was talking to you a minute ago. It's back on now. We're okay. So we are in um, a series. Uh, we are in a, a series at the minute of called Kingdom Culture. And I'm really passionate about the message of the kingdom. <clears throat> the kingdom is Jesus' message and everything else really that, that he talks about is like a commentary. His central message is the kingdom of God. Um, and in this kingdom series so far, <clears throat> Jason has looked at the gospel of the kingdom. We've talked about the good life, the vision of the kingdom, having um, the kingdom as a priority in our life. And now today we want to talk about, I want to talk about Jesus' kingdom vision, his vision for what the kingdom looks like becoming our vision. Um, I'm going to start with Mark chapter 1. If you have your Bibles with you, if you need a Bible, there's some here, there's some more down the back. Anyone need a Bible? Put your hand up and um, do you pass one behind you as well? Thank you, darling. Great. Um, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. <coughs> and it's on the screen as well. We all there? After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This series is called Kingdom Culture. And you might be saying, well, what does that mean? What does culture mean? What does that, what does that look like when we talk about culture? What are we really saying? And culture um, can be described in many ways, but this is how I want to describe it. It's a set of shared attitudes, values, goals, practices, and relational boundaries. So if you think about culture, if you think about the culture that we live in, if you think about the culture of our family, think about our culture and church or whatever, that pretty well sums it up, doesn't it? It's shared. It's something that's shared. It's attitudes, it's values, it's goals, it's practices. <clears throat> so when we talk about kingdom culture, that's the context of what we're talking about. We're talking about something that is felt, that is something that, that we, we live in. Um, sometimes someone described culture to me one time, it's like, a fish living in a fishbowl. And someone says to the fish, what's the water? Or what's water? And he doesn't know what water is because it's just something that he's swimming in. So that's a, I haven't explained that very well, have I? Terrible, Jason. Terrible, Jason's shaking his head <coughs> at me. But anyway, so basically it's like the fish isn't aware of the water it's swimming in. And very often that's exactly what it's like with us with culture. It's just because we're living in it, it's what we're surrounded with. And we just, we're not even aware that it's there all around us. But I want us to explore here at VCD, I want us to explore the ways that Jesus embodied a kingdom culture versus a religious culture that he was born into. And we as a church, we want to build a kingdom culture versus even a church culture or even a Christian culture. And you might go, ooh, what does that mean? But what I mean is <clears throat> a kingdom culture is what Jesus came to proclaim. And so very often we can slip back into this idea of what a religious culture looks like, which sometimes looks and smells a little like what Jesus was describing, but is not fully what the kingdom is. So we start with Jesus and his message, and we take it from there. I always think Jesus is a great place to start. 
He's always a great place to start. He's also a great place to finish. And he's great to have all in between. It is he that we look to. I want us to be rooted here at Vineyard Church in Gannon in the reality of what the kingdom is. So that wherever we go, we, are, we go as ambassadors of his kingdom. And what's an ambassador? Well, basically an ambassador is a representative of a different country living somewhere else. So you could have an ambassador, a British ambassador or an Irish ambassador, say, to Iran. And they live there, but they are a representative of the, the country that they're from. They are the, 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 the legal entity of that country there. But they're living somewhere completely different. But within, within what they do, how they practice, how they go about their everyday life, they do that with the culture of the country that they come from. And we are exactly the same. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God here on earth. But the earth does not fully display the kingdom of God. Would you agree with that? <clears throat> if we embody the culture of Jesus and the culture of his kingdom, then we have a greater influence everywhere we go. We see this with Jesus. So what is the kingdom of God? I'm going to give us a summary. The king, God's kingdom is God's sovereign rule and reign. It's his sovereign rule and reign. God's kingdom is God's desire for life being lived and experienced in the way it was originally intended. So way back in Genesis, way back at the very beginning, we catch a glimpse in those first few chapters of how life was supposed to be. How life was always supposed to be. And this new kingdom, when, when Jesus comes, Jesus isn't bringing a new kingdom. Jesus is ushering in the kingdom that was always intended right from the very beginning. This kingdom that we talk about was always in the heart of God. It was the kingdom of, the, of Eden. So if you want to catch a glimpse of it, go right back and read those. We only have a glimpse of those first couple of chapters. But read what God originally intended. Put simply, God's kingdom is what life would look like if God was in charge. It's how life would look if God was in charge of all of it. Seriously, all of it. Could you imagine what your life would look like if God was fully in charge of your life? Picture it. I'm pretty sure my life would be very different if God was really fully in charge of my life. That's not saying that God is not sovereign. Of course he is sovereign. But what would it look like if I really allowed God to take charge of my life and be fully in control of it? If his will was first instead of mine? That gives us an idea of what the kingdom looks like. Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near. Or another translation says it's close. It's at hand. It's like you can grab it. You can reach out and touch it. Some people describe it as like low-hanging fruit. You ever walk through any Armagh people here? Orchards? Anybody got orchards? Apples? Even maybe not an orchard, an apple tree, yeah. A few apple trees. Jason has, I don't know if two trees constitute an orchard. How many trees constitute an orchard? More than two, I think. So we don't quite have an orchard in our back garden. He's hoping. Um, but you know, if you walk through somewhere and you're walking through an orchard at this time of year, or maybe the apples are all lifted, tell I'm not very agricultural um, but their apples are all hanging down low and it's just like that the kingdom is like that it's so close you can just reach out and touch it and taste of it 
What exactly does it mean when Jesus talks about that the kingdom has come near? There's a text, the text is at, a, at the end of the parable of the sower. In Matthew 13, verses 9 to 12 and 16, verse 16. <clears throat> I want to read that to you. Apologies for my cough. It's annoying me. I'm sure it's annoying you as well. Matthew 13, if you want to turn there for me, please. So this is the parable of a sower. And for those of you who may not be familiar with what parables are, a parable is simply an illustration or an explanation of what the kingdom of God is. So every time you see a parable in scripture, when Jesus is telling one of these stories, he's using an illustration or using an expression to explain what the kingdom of God is. So Matthew 13, 9 to 11 says this, whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. The kingdom has a lot to do with seeing and hearing. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Whoever has eyes, let them see. Some will get it, some won't. And as you read the parables and as you read the scriptures of Jesus' encounter with people, you see this all the time, don't you? Some people just seem to get it. They seem to get what he's saying. They seem to get who he is. And it's like their eyes are open and they can see fully clearly who he is. Or they catch glimpses, maybe is more correctly, of who he is. Because with some of his disciples, it's like sometimes they get it. Like Peter. Peter seems to really get it sometimes. And then other times he just, it's like he's never met Jesus in his life before. Sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? <clears throat> like the rest of us. But it's like sometimes they have eyes to see and sometimes they have ears to hear and they can really hear and they can really understand. So there's this, there's this element of, of us needing to engage that yes, we can hear the words and we can see but there's more to it than that. We need to engage our hearts and our minds to believe in what it is and believe in the person that we're seeing in front of us in Jesus and all that he's doing. Luke 10 verses 8 and 9 says this. I'm just going to read it for sake of time, but you can turn if you want to. Luke 10 verses 8 and 9. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal those who are ill and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So what does that mean? When you heal someone, you say God's reign is here. His way, his will is right here in this moment. Heal those, who, heal those who are ill and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Jesus also says the kingdom is within you. It's near you. It's like a mustard seed. And for me, I think this is what he's saying. Anyone here like salsa? Hands up. No, not the dancing. I'm definitely not going to dance. None of you want to see me dancing, for sure. Jason's a better dancer. I'm a better singer. He's a better dancer. He would probably dispute that as well. He thinks he's a better singer. But <clears throat> he loves eating salsa. Yeah, I love eating salsa. Um, we had a team over here, oh, it must be 12 years ago now, maybe more, um, 12 or 13 years ago from L.A., and there's this great woman 
we Mexican lady called Emily. And I had the joy of her teaching me how to cook some Mexican food. Oh, it was amazing. And it, poor Jason was fasting. Sorry for laughing, I still find it very funny. But the whole place was just full of the smell of garlic and all the most amazing flavours and chilli that he absolutely loves. And the poor critter couldn't have any of it because he was fasting. But it was very good, Jason. I can testify to that. It was very, very good. But anyway, Emily taught me how to make salsa. So here's a list of ingredients. Do I have that up there? Do you? Right. So this is the ingredients for my salsa. Feel free to take a photograph if you want to. Whatever, I'm quite open to share my, my uh, recipe, which is really Emily's. So this is the ingredients for salsa. Red onion, garlic, lime juice, salt, jalapenos. Did I say that right? <laughs> is that okay? Yeah, not bad. Um, chilies and a, a big handful of cilantro or coriander, whatever way you want to say it. Um, and four or five tomatoes chopped and blitzed. Blend until it's combined, taste and season. Okay, so that's basically how you make salsa, for those of you who love it. Simple as that, very, very easy. So why am I talking about salsa? For most of us in this world, right, this is kind of how we approach the message of Jesus in the Christian life. Stay with me, okay? Stay with me in this. It's a wee bit like a list. We talk about the ingredients we remember the experience we had in our youth group. We remember the, the people who were influential and in leading us to Jesus in our life. Um, we remember the times when God spoke to us clearly. We have our devotional time. All of these things are good and important aspects of our Christian life. But it's like we have this list of our Christian life. And it's just this list of things. It's like the books we've read. The experiences we had. The moments. It's like the moments of surrendering again like we did this morning when we sang that song but salsa is much more than just its ingredients yes it is all these things but it's meant to be experienced and the kingdom of God and this Christian life this relationship with Jesus is more than a list of ingredients it's something that is to be experienced and savored you get it I was going to make you all salsa this morning, but I just thought that would be one big distraction. I would never get back on task again, so some other time I'll make salsa. But it's meant to be experienced. It would be like telling someone, here's your list of ingredients for your salsa, but you can't experience it. And sometimes that's what we've done in the Christian life, haven't we? We've done that in the church even, down through the ages. It's like we've said, here's all the elements, here's all the things, but you can't experience because experience in some way is bad. Whenever when we look at the life of Jesus and we look how he engaged with people, how he lived his life, how he went about his ministry, he was constantly pulling people into an experience with him. Wasn't he? Constantly. People all around Jesus experienced grace. They experienced acceptance. They experienced his love. They experienced his invitation. They experienced healing, yes. They experienced deliverance. They experienced freedom, but there was always an experience with Jesus. So how have we somehow along the line, through 2,000 years of church history, how have we got to just being like a list of ingredients, this Christian life? The kingdom has come near means the kingdom of God as a reality to be experienced. Do you have ears? Then hear. Do you have eyes? Then see. 
hearing and seeing is an experience. Much of Jesus' language and stories and teachings on the kingdom are built into the experience. He comes offering a new way to experience the whole world. Jesus actually ushers in the way God always intended for us to experience life, right back from the very beginning, right back before sin entered the world. I mean, you hear in... um, Jesus talks about the man who would sell everything to buy the field with the pearl of great price in it, which reflects the kingdom. How would you do that? Why would you sell everything you had to buy a field unless you had first experienced it? Unless you had first experienced what the kingdom was like? So much of Jesus' message is about living in a new reality. And Jesus' reality, it like flips everything upside down. It flips our perceptions it's upside down, or actually the right way up. We talk, Jason talks about that very often. The kingdom reality is actually living the right way up in an upside down world. When sin entered the world, the world flipped upside down. It was not how God intended it. When Jesus came, it's like he came and he said, right, we're going to live this way. And every now and again, it's like we see it. It's like we see a tilt. It's like we feel everything move on its axis. And it's like, oh, this is how it's meant to be. This is how it's meant to be. This is the kingdom Jesus talked about. This is where we're heading. When Jesus comes back, we get to experience this all in its fullness. But until now, until then, now we get to experience these flips. It's like we get to experience it when when this kingdom breaks in. Matthew 13, 16. Be blessed, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. This upside down kingdom looks a lot like Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest, be a servant. If you want to find your life, you lose it. If you want more, you give away all that you have. It's not upward mobility, it's downward mobility. God's favour is found where? God's favour is found in the margins. It doesn't make any sense. It's a complete alternative reality. In Philippians 2, we we, we read about the humble servant of the story, this this story of Jesus, this picture of Jesus, the humble servant, um, surrendering his life on the cross. That God himself, the God of the whole universe, would step down from, the uni- from heaven, for, for leave his godliness behind, and he would come and suffer as a man on a cross. But he was still God. It's that, that God would suffer, that God would come down to this earth, and he would suffer and die for us. That is an upside-down reality, isn't it? There are times, and I know that this is your stories, that some of you are frustrated. And this is how it goes. You have experienced God. You have experienced the breaking in of his kingdom in your life. Maybe it's the story of when you first came to know Jesus and your life was wonderfully turned around. You can still remember that moment. You can still remember that moment where you felt like for the first time in your life you belonged that you felt that the love of the Father welcoming you into his embrace. 
And you've tried to explain that to someone else who doesn't know God. And they're like, what are you talking about? See, sometimes people get it and sometimes people don't. They have eyes, but they can't see. And they have ears, but they can't hear. Or you have, have had the privilege of, of watching someone be miraculously healed. And there's no other explanation for it than God himself has intervened and he is healed. And again, you've tried to share that story with someone and they've just kind of looked at you like, woohoo. Or they've tried to rationalize away the explanation. Oh, it's such and such. Oh, you know what? It just probably went away on its own. Or okay, maybe the scan wasn't right in the first place, you know, right? Like them scans aren't going to be trusted anymore. And there's some kind of explanation as to why and, and how and whatever. They would believe any other explanation than believe that it was actually God who did a miracle in someone's life. Or recently, I heard a story of someone who had shared how God had began to talk to them in their life and show up and, and it's just led them on this amazing, amazing journey of bravery and boldness and stepping into what God has for them in their life and they're so excited by it. And God is doing amazing things in their life and they, they were sharing this with someone the other week and they actually suggested to them that they might have a mental illness for real life. And the sadder thing is, is the other person was a believer. Do you have eyes and can't see? Do you have ears and can't hear? The kingdom of God, this kingdom that God is ushering in, is real, it is tangible, so therefore we are going to experience it. Experience is not a bad thing. We are whole people, bodies, minds, spirits. We are whole people. We are not just rational thinkers. We are not just rational minds. And when God breaks in with his kingdom, we experience him whole. You see, the kingdom of God is like a song that you hear in your house. I want you to picture this, right? Imagine you're in your house someday and all of a sudden this song appears. And at first, you don't know where it's coming from. And you begin to search for it. And it becomes louder and louder. And then you begin to move the sofa and the table. And you begin to take things off the walls to hear it more clearly. And eventually, you rearrange your whole entire home around song. You open up the windows and the doors. So others might have a chance to hear the song and hear the music as well. Then years later, you realize your entire life has been transformed by the song. It's not about the lyrics. It's not about the genre of the, of the, the music. It's, about knowing, it's not about knowing what key it's in. It's just about hearing the music. That's what the kingdom is like. The early Christians in the New Testament talked about a Jesus they experienced for themselves. The church was on fire for this Jesus. They didn't live radical lives because they had to. Or it was convenient or comfortable. The early church, do you remember in the New Testament, they were being persecuted daily. It was not comfortable. It was not convenient. They didn't even have a cool website or a really good podcast. They had none of those things. But yet they lived radically because of what they experienced. 
Matthew 13, 44 says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Some of us will get it and some of us won't. Not everyone went and sold everything they had to buy the field. One man did. And how did people experience the kingdom in the scriptures? The kingdom was a, was a term for an alternative reality to the ordinary life that was present. See, when Jesus stepped into the world and announced the kingdom was near or here, it was the very first glimpse of the kingdom. They had heard about it all through scriptures. You can, you can hear about this new order that's coming, this new way of living, this savior that Jesus was foretold all through, this, this liberator that was coming. All the, the whole story of the Bible leads up to this moment when Jesus steps on the earth. So when Jesus came at that time, they, they, they had never fully experienced the kingdom. They'd heard about it, but they didn't know what it was. You see, we can't say that. Even though we haven't experienced the full consummation of the kingdom, we live in a world and a reality and a time in history where actually the world has experienced 2,000 years of God's kingdom breaking in. Sometimes it's like we think this is a whole brand new thing, don't we? This whole idea, because for some of us it is brand new. For some of us we haven't heard it before. But in the history of the world, in the history of where we live, in the context of the universe, this is not new. For 2,000 years, in the history of the church, and in the history of the world, the kingdom of God has been breaking in for over 2,000 years. They had an excuse back then not to recognize it because it was brand new. We don't. We don't. We have the precious Holy Spirit living within us. We have the words of God, the full story of God in this book, pointing us and leading us towards what the kingdom looks like, leading us to Jesus and showing us what he looks like, more importantly. And we have two millennia of church history behind us, of kingdom breakthrough. This is not a new thing. It's not a trendy thing. This is not a brand new way of viewing scripture. This is Jesus' central message. The kingdom of God is Jesus' central message. Right from the beginning. Right from when he stepped into the temple and opened the scriptures and he started, when he read from Isaiah, he said, the kingdom of God is here in your midst. Jesus steps in, and through his everyday life, the kingdom is incarnated, and it's manifested. It becomes um, obvious. People can see it in his presence. So what does it look like? What does the kingdom look like? If it's something that we can experience, what does it look like? Well, the kingdom equals healing. The sick were healed. Lepers were cleansed. Paralytics could walk. The blind could see. This is what we see in the, in the Gospels. The kingdom equals belonging. In the kingdom, there was a new community, a brand new family. Women, tax collectors, prostitutes, outcasts, failures, burnouts. The, list, the least likely people at all that you would imagine were welcomed into this new kingdom community. There was a place for everyone to belong in this new kingdom. No longer just the uh, religious elite, 
or the very, very upright, everyone and anyone could belong to this new Jesus family. The disciples of Jesus begin to build a very diverse church. Over 2,000 years ago, that was unheard of. We think that we live in a very segmented society now, which we do often, but it was very segmented then. When Jesus stepped in and he was welcoming all these people, that's why that he was rejected so much, was because they were going, oh no, we can't mix with those people and we can't mix with those people and read the stories so you hear the language. And yet, the kingdom is one of belonging. The kingdom equals freedom. Forgiveness of sins. The story of the woman, if you know it, the woman caught in adultery and she's forgiven. A man tormented by legions of demons. He was spiritually oppressed and enslaved and he encounters Jesus and he's freed from his oppression. People are released from their past. And I love this one. Peter, after denying Jesus three times, is launched into leadership, forgiven for his failures and reinstated by Jesus' love. The kingdom equals peace or shalom. And the shalom as God is everything as it should be. It's not just the absence of war. We see this when, when the prostitute pours out her alabaster jar and Jesus says, go in peace. He proclaims his peace on her. When Jesus teaches that we can live a worry-free life, do not worry. The kingdom of God is a worry-free kingdom. As we live in an increasingly anxious culture, think about it. Imagine that this kingdom of peace was to break in and to free people from their anxiety. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. The kingdom equals joy. The woman who was bleeding for 12 years touches Jesus and is healed and freed from a lifetime of agony. The 12-year-old girl, the daughter of Jairus, she is healed and the room is filled with joy. John and Peter, do you remember them? They come along and they meet a, a, a beggar who um, is paralyzed at the temple gate and it says that he joyfully runs off after he's been healed entering, entering into the temple, praising God. The kingdom equals purpose. Zacchaeus has a radical life change. He is freed from the tyranny of his own sin. His greed, his selfishness, extortion, and instead Jesus gives him a whole new purpose. He encounters Jesus, his life is transformed, and all of a sudden he starts redistributing all his wealth. He sets up like his own charity, starts giving away. Not just, not just gives back all the money that he'd taken from people, but more, even more than that. All of a sudden he has a brand new purpose. The kingdom equals power. Power to preach, to heal, and to do the things of Jesus. Power to change. When people encountered the kingdom of God, they were given access and a capacity to change. How many of us want the power to change? I want the power to change. There's things in my life that I want to change. But not just in my life, there's also things in our community that I want to change. I want to see changed. There's things in our world that I want to see changed. And it's the kingdom that brings the power to see change forever. 
How do we begin to experience God's rule and reign? Today, how do we begin to experience his kingdom? Belonging, healing, freedom, peace, purpose, and power. We can experience his kingdom here and now. But more than just experience it, we're commissioned to build the kingdom, to extend it, to usher it in more and more. We can build the kingdom here and now. Matthew 10, 78 says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal those who are ill, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Jesus invites us to build his kingdom wherever we go. Wherever we go. We are his ambassadors. Do you remember I used that example? We are his ambassadors. So wherever we go, we carry this kingdom with us. So when we walk into a room, we bring his peace. When we walk into a room, we bring the power to see things changed through his kingdom. When we walk into a room, we bring purpose for those who are lost and don't know where they're going. We looked at Jesus and he changed culture all around him. He carried the life of the kingdom with him everywhere he went. So I want to ask you this morning, what do you carry with you? What do you carry with you? What does your Monday morning normally look like? The rooms that you normally walk into on a Monday morning. What do you carry with you? What kind of culture are you stewarding in your life? What kind of culture are you creating in your home where you live? What do you carry into your workplace? Is it love? Peace, joy, healing, abundance, kindness, honor, patience, power and purpose. I want us to build this culture in our lives. This is what the kingdom culture is like. When Jesus says the kingdom is near, this is what he said. This is the low hanging fruit that's available for us. Contrast for a moment this idea of building kingdom culture versus the gospel of salvation that many of us grew up in. And what that says is that you, you become a Christian and then all of a sudden <clears throat> it's your job to just tell everyone else about Jesus. But you don't have to, um, they don't have to experience it. You just have to give them this list. It's a wee bit like back to the salsa. And you just give them a list of ingredients. And you say, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to follow Jesus, this is what you need to do. And you give them the list of ingredients and you leave them with that. The gospel of the kingdom is slightly different because what you're saying is, come and taste and see. Taste and see. Experience who Jesus is. Experience his kingdom. It's not just a list. It's not just some dry um, theory. We want to introduce people to the most compelling, attractive, 
life-changing person in the entire world, Jesus Christ. We want them to have ears to hear and eyes to see and to experience the full goodness of who God is. The gospel of the kingdom is to say, do you want to try some salsa? Do you want to come and taste and see for yourself? We think it's enough that if we're Christians and say, for example, we own a business and we just pass out tracts or we we invite people to church. None of those things are bad, by the way. But again, it's like back to the list. The gospel of the kingdom is creating a kingdom culture wherever you are, in your business. That imagine your business or your workplace or your home or your classroom or wherever you find yourself would become a place where workers are valued, a place of peace and shalom, where dealings are done with fairness and equity and where profit is not the only measurable. What if everything you do is the kingdom and build in this culture? How we manage our day-to-day lives, how we handle our finances, how we honour people we disagree with. Let me say that again in Northern Ireland. How do we honour those we disagree with? That's the kingdom breaking in right there. There just seems to be, I feel the Holy Spirit on this, there just seems to be so much in our country, in our society, that we disagree with right now. I have never, ever seen it so polarised. Well, we've always lived in a polarised country in Northern Ireland, but right across the board, right across the Western world, it's for or against. It's black or white. If you don't agree with me, you're against me. That is not the kingdom. That is not the kingdom. We are called to love. We don't have to agree. But we need to find a way to lovingly disagree. To lovingly disagree. How do we speak to people? How do we treat people? How do we we deal with the people that day to day we come in contact with? What if we begin to build our relationships around kingdom culture? What would that look like? How would that be different? Instead of feeling that when we we meet people for the first time, like we have to give them this list of, well, I'm a Christian, so A, B, C, D, E. What if people came into our lives, were around us, and all of a sudden they're going, what's different about you? What, something feels different. You treat people differently. You have a different way of looking at life. You value people in a different way. What is it? They're experiencing the kingdom. They're tasting and seeing. Church, I long for us to become a people who are compelled by this wonderful King Jesus, that we are compelled by him, that our lives are um, orientated around him and the song that he sings over our lives. I want us to be a church that um, we long not just to know the kingdom, not just to know the, the um, theology of the kingdom, not just to know all the ins and outs of it, but to experience his kingdom so that we can offer other people to taste and see his kingdom. 
That was the compelling thing about Jesus. That's why people flocked to see him and be around him is because they wanted to experience it. They wanted to experience this new world order that Jesus has brought into play. They wanted to be around it. They just didn't want to hear secondhand. They didn't want to just um, debate about what is he doing or what's he not doing. They wanted to be around him because he was compelling and this kingdom is compelling. Who doesn't want to be around a kingdom that's all about belonging, about healing, where people can find freedom? People that have been in bondage all their lives could walk free. Where people who are incapacitated and completely bound by anxiety could experience peace. Where people who are lost and have no sense of what life is about could find purpose in the one who created them. And instead of feeling powerless of all that's going on around us, we would, we would have this culture of power of believing in a God who can change all things. A God who can do all things. There is nothing too great for a God. There is nothing beyond him. There is nothing too big. There is no problem too complex. There is no situation too dire. There is nothing going on in your life or in the life of this world that is too great for our God and his kingdom. But the invitation is, will you open your eyes to see and will you open your ears to hear and begin to usher in his kingdom? Change the culture of your family. Change the culture of your workplace. Change the culture of your circle of friends. Don't see it as a list of ingredients. Let them taste and see the salsa. Let them taste and see the kingdom of God. Will you stand with me?